Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Tuesday, everybody. We got some news to break down by we, I mean myself, none other than PFF's finest, none other than Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, what's up, man? Non-team preview edition. We're done with them. We're done. <laughs> yeah, man. We have plenty to catch up on. Uh, obviously, obviously uh, Scott Fishbowl in full season, so that's always fun. Gets gets the juices flowing on on kind of a redraft format, plus just crazy rules where ADP is completely out the window. So I think that's one of the things I love the most, besides the fact, uh, you know, the mission behind Scott Fishbowl. Like, what a great dude. I Look, I love Scott Fish. He knows that. I love Scott Fishbowl. What are kickers doing in the flex? Who started this <laughs> godforsaken movement? Like, I just don't. Who actually enjoys this? Like, who's like, oh man, just what I wanted to do today is pick between this wide receiver and this kicker. Like, I, I just don't think it makes foot fantasy football more fun, Dwayne. Isn't that what we're trying to do ultimately with fantasy football? We're trying to have fun. Kickers in the flex is objectively not fun. Am I wrong here? No, it makes it more fun because then some no. people actually want to draft kickers in the flex, which is the wrong move. And then that means, Ian, you get more shots at guys that are not kickers, and they are now on your roster, and they give you a better chance to win later in the season. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of these rules because it baits people into going for it. We are going to have one, not even a full podcast on kickers, but we will talk about them at some point in the offseason for you poor souls that continue to play in leagues with those half-breeds. But enough of that negative nonsense, Dwayne. You are correct in that we have plenty of news to catch up on over the past six weeks or so. Let's get after it. Starting off with the Baker Mayfield trade was in Cleveland. Now it was in Carolina. There you go, Cleveland. Jacoby Brissett is now looking like your starting quarterback for at least one week, six weeks, 16, 17 weeks. Who knows? But yes, Baker Mayfield now in a quote-unquote open competition in Carolina. But Dwayne lost in kind of the, the offseason of Baker and just, you know, everyone kind of trashing him is has been, I think, the reality that we're still talking about a top 20 top 25 quarterback here that does not describe sam Darnold. baker mayfield will be taking the first nap in week one against the browns do you do we need any more evidence we're in a simulation than right now man <laughs> no there's definitely uh you know i don't know if it's a glitch or on purpose in this simulation <laughs> but but yeah um look all, all you want like for your i mean obviously like if you can have patrick mahomes as your quarterback and you're a receiver that's great what we have to avoid are the absolute just terrible situations. Sam Darnold is one of those. Jacoby Brissett is going to be one of those for the Browns. If you can at least just be serviceable, which we've seen Baker do, he's been able to support weapons, not not high-end fantasy weapons, but I think we could also question like how healthy was Odell Beckham Jr. You know, there's been a lot of different different things going on with the receivers that Baker has had. You know, Jarvis Landry, you know, is a is a good receiver, right? But, you know, he's also a slot guy. He works underneath. So how high would we really expect him to finish? You know, it's not like we expect a top six finish, right, out of Jarvis Landry. Um, so having said all that, like it's a positive, man. It's a, it's a positive for all the receivers um, on Carolina. Doesn't mean you have to move everyone way up the ranks, but I feel way more comfortable taking everyone. CMC was already, you know, in our top two. It, it's a positive for him. It doesn't really move him. I mean, he was already number two. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm all on board with, with Baker. Look, it's not Sam Darnold. That's all we have to say. Does it? Move him, Dwayne, because look, I came out here in February postseason. I said CMC's my number one overall player. I got chastised, mocked, held, you know, at stake, whatever the hell you want to say about it. I backed off the stance after we made it through the entire offseason without a single quarterback upgrade, but now we got it. Better late than never. It is an upgrade at quarterback, and 
if CMC is fully healthy, if Jonathan Taylor are fully healthy this season, like CMC is scoring more points. I understand the floor. I think I'm ready to go CMC overall. Number one, Dwayne could have argued that I should have been there the whole time, but like, I think that's what it comes down to. I don't want to fall into the trap that we try to avoid with other players where it's like, I don't know. I don't know that CMC is more likely to get injured than Jonathan Taylor. And if we take that off the table, it's CMC and full PPR. I'll still take Taylor and standard in half, but why not CMC at one-on-one at this point? Well, and we've really already had this conversation. We, we've had the conversation if you only got to do one draft, right? And you're just trying to push all your chips in. You just want to win that one league and it's a PPR format. I mean, we've already said it would be McCaffrey. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm fine. Like if you move him to one um, for for me, like I'll leave Jonathan Taylor at one. I totally agree with you. Like, like I said, we've discussed it before. Um, you know, this doesn't change a lot for me with CMC. It makes me more comfortable with him, but at the same time, like, like I said, I already have him in my, in my top two. So it's kind of hard to go really anywhere else, but anyone that wants to take CMC first overall, I think it's fine. If you're only playing in one league, if you're going to play in 50, you know, you're going to want to mix up Jonathan Taylor and CMC Um, and, and and Jonathan Taylor is the harder player to get at number one overall. Now I've been in drafts where Jonathan Taylor's fallen to me at like pick three, pick two, a couple of times. Um, so, I mean, you can get some exposure to him without having the number one pick, but let's say you're going to do 10 drafts, you know, and you get one pick that's at the 101. If you want a shot at Jonathan Taylor, you probably got to take him there. And CMC does have a little wider range. Like I've seen him fall all the way to six or seven, yeah. um, just because sometimes you'll get in a draft and people are just freaked out, right? Like, I can't take him just because of what you were just talking about. They just, all they can, all they can see are the injuries and the fact that they've been burned in the last two years by taking CMC. And then that just clouds the judgment. So um, you know, you're going to get more chances to get CMC beyond ADP than what you're going to get with JT. So I think it just comes down to, are you going to be someone drafting a bunch of teams or are you someone that's just going to have one and then you got to make your call at wide receiver DJ Moore up to wide receiver, 15 ADP over underdog objectively the best quarterback of his career with all due respect to late career cam Newton just wasn't the same guy when DJ Moore was coming into the league there in 2018. So Dwayne, I have, I think it's pretty clear where this wide receiver two shenanigans start. I think it's at AJ Brown at the wide receiver 13 spot. We also got Pittman there. I have AJB 13, Pittman 14, Tara McLaurin 15. I continue to be well above the field on McLaurin and happy to do so. Then I have DJ Moore. Where are you falling with them? I'll be honest. I don't even think I moved him up. I was a little bit higher than consensus to begin with. Um, again, it's a positive He's right in that tier. I find myself more confident in drafting DJ Moore, but again, him versus McLaurin versus Pittman versus Brown. I still think Wentz versus Baker is probably a net, you know, kind of a wash almost. And honestly, I think Terry still probably has less overall target competition in the offense. Yeah, I think they're, I think it's a tier. Like you mentioned, I've got, I've got all those guys in my tier two. I do have DJ Moore above Terry McLaurin. Um, I've got DJ Moore, Michael Pittman, and Keenan Allen in my tier 2B. Then below that, I've got Mike Williams, Marquise Brown, Cortland Sutton, uh, McLaurin, Waddle, and Deontay Johnson. Like They're all, all below. And I have Deontay purposely, obviously, at the bottom. Like He's the one still with the biggest question mark um, at quarterback. But what we've seen with DJ Moore is that with pretty crappy quarterbacks, he's just always a wide receiver, too, no matter what. And so now we have the upside of, okay, if this is his best quarterback, there is a potential wide receiver, you know, one outcome and, you know, his range of outcomes. And I think there's, I think that's there also for McLaurin. But the other thing that we're having to play here, right, is the ADP game. And so a lot of times if you're coming, you know, back in round four, especially like on underdog, um, even over on, on uh, FFPC, 
you know, you can have a shot at DJ Moore and then also come back and get Terry McLaurin too, if you want to. So it's really, it, it's, it's depends on what you're trying to do. If you only know you're taking one wide receiver there, then you got to make a stand on DJ Moore versus Terry McLaurin. If you're trying to come away with two, you know, there's a, you got a better shot of taking DJ Moore first, right. And then coming back and getting McLaurin. So within my ranks, I'm always anchoring them with ADP. Just the, you know, some players I don't mind. I'll get way off, you know, versus ADP. But with these, I've kept them a little bit closer because, again, I'm trying to help people maximize building the best roster. Absolutely. What about the other wide receiver there? Yes, on social media, Robbie Anderson dismissed Baker Mayfield back in March. I mean, he dismissed Sam Darnold, too, and I don't think Darnold was back there in the pocket, you know, in the middle of a game like, oh, that Robbie over there, he said something bad about me a couple months ago. I'm not going to go throw that deep ball to him. Continues to be cemented as the wide receiver, too, in Carolina. I mean, how the guy's going back-to-back seasons, 136, 110 targets. He's getting a quarterback upgrade. Right now, PFF projects Robbie Anderson for 94 targets, and he has a wide receiver 70 ADP over underdog fantasy. Made my list of 10 wide receivers that are too cheap based on their projected targets. We have heard murmurs of a tr- of a trade, but man, Dwayne, save for like Baltimore, I think Robbie gets traded anywhere, and we're going to see his value only go up in a similar manner as like Julio Jones, who's about 10 spots lower in ADP right now. Any love and throwing a late round dart at Robbie Anderson? Yeah, I think Robbie Anderson's just going to continue to move up in ADP. Like to me, he should be inside the top 150, um, you know, because again, Sam Darnold was just like the kiss of death. But if you can have at least just an average to below average quarterback, you know, NFL wise, and that's what Baker Mayfield is, it can unlock these other guys. Um, So I think Robbie Anderson has top 36 upside. But even if you're drafting him like as your wide receiver four, um, yeah, I mean, you're getting value on him. Or as your wide receiver five, I think he should be inside the top 150. Just it's, it's a guy that's been talented enough to show us in the past, even with bad quarterback play that he can break into that top 150. So still a young enough player. Um, so yeah, he actually gets the biggest bump and of all the guys, yep. you know, for me by Baker Mayfield arriving to the team. Tight ends. Unfortunately, we can't care. They just re-signed Ian Thomas. Tommy Trembles. Tommy Trembles is back. They're going to split snaps again. This has been one of the, I think it's either Carolina or the Jets over the past two years literally are the league low offense in terms of total targets to the position. So I think it's just going to be kind of similar to what we saw with Baker in Cleveland where, yeah, probably a touchdown here or there to the tight end, but trying to predict who it's going to be on a week-to-week basis. Wishful thinking. So that's the Baker Mayfield trade. Now we still have one more potential trade piece to fall at the quarterback position. That is, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo. Got to get, I'll find a Twitter account here in a second, but the, the girl who keeps doing the, you know, different painting every single day until Jimmy Garoppolo is traded. Absolutely incredible stuff by her. Uh, Continues to go on. Buccaneers, Seahawks, and Browns have been in the rumor mill lately. Buccaneers, obviously, it seems like a stretch. He'd be going there to be Tom Brady's backup and quarterback of the future. But Dwayne, if Jimmy G does find his way to Seattle and Cleveland, how big of a bump are we giving the likes of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Amari Cooper? Because just like Baker Mayfield is an objective upgrade over Sam Darnold. Certainly Jimmy G we consider an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett as well as Geno Smith slash Drew slash Drew Locke. Yeah, it would be similar um, because you would at least have a serviceable quarterback, right? We've seen Jimmy G support, you know, Debo Samuel and Kittle. We've seen him support Ayuk and Kittle. We've not really seen him support three, right, players. Um, and it would be, if he landed in Cleveland, it would be a very similar offense, right, to what they run now. You know, you're going to run a lot of heavy personnel, use a lot of play action, you know, center everything, you know, really around making things look the same, uh, depending on the run game. You know, obviously the defense has to cooperate, but 
yeah, I, it's going to be an upgrade. Like, and man, like if you went to Seattle, the, the question with Seattle is would the 49ers, are they really going to be willing to trade Garoppolo, you know, inside their division, a division that's already really tough anyway. Yeah. Right. You know, it's nice to have an easy out on the schedule. If you look at that and think, well, we think we can beat Geno Smith and drew Locke. If you give them Jimmy Garoppolo, well, they do have DK Metcalf, right? They've got Tyler Lockett. Um, they've got a couple of backs they can use. Like they, they could make a little bit of noise and make life a lot tougher for you um, in the division. So it, it, it is kind of the final hope though for Metcalf. Like Metcalf needs an out right now <laughs> um, because he's sitting in the worst quarter, in the worst quarterback situation. He's, you know, I think you can argue that Metcalf's sitting in the worst offense in the NFL right now. And so it really sucks because, you know, he's definitely a top 12, probably a top six talent, right? Just as far as, you know, his pure underlying talent profile as a receiver but in the absolute worst situation. So Jimmy to the Seahawks would be the one that would get us the most excited to the Browns. What would, would be fine. That would be a little bump for Amari. Um, you know, it would also be a little bit of a bump for Njoku for the same reasons we talked about, you know, with Baker, but man, Metcalf right now, like if you're drafting in an eight, if you're drafting him at ADP, he can probably pay off your ADP, you know, just because he's so talented, but there's just not really a chance for him I don't think to explode. Right. I mean, there's always a chance, but it's just going to be really tough with quarterback play that bad. Um, but if Jimmy G got there, I think we would definitely have a story. And I think it would make me feel much more comfortable about drafting Metcalf in the first four rounds and the first first four rounds of fantasy drafts. I think the other side of the coin with Seattle is yes, they're going to be terrible. But remember, this has been even in Russ's like down years, it's always been a competitive team under Pete Carroll in terms of, you know, going for the playoffs at a minimum. Don't think they're going to be that way this year. Vegas certainly agrees with us. So it might just force their hand to pass more at this point, Dwayne. It's Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like Tyler Lockett, no, I don't think he's a top six talent at the position like DK Metcalf. But I also think maybe we're giving too much credence to like credit to Russ for Lockett. I mean, there's another guy on the end of those moon balls, you know, somehow getting two feet in bounds and making all these ridiculous plays. You can look at PFF receiving grade yards per route run, targets per route run. Lockett's right there, if not better than Metcalf since uh, Metcalf has entered the league. I mean, you look at their two games, I'm sorry, four extended appearances last year with Geno Smith. I mean, Metcalf scored five touchdowns in those games. Lockett actually had more targets, wasn't as productive. So I just think, man, these are two objectively really good to great receivers that are just so damn cheap. Lock is the wide receiver 47 right now, Dwayne. Like we were talking about him as a borderline wide receiver three a couple months ago. Like, yeah, it's tough and it is gross, but wide receiver 47 for Tyler Lockett getting triple digit targets from anyone. Like where, if, if that's not the line that we're drafting Tyler Lockett, what is the line? Yeah, I think it's fine. Like where his ADP is at. Um, I mean, I've got him right. I've got him in my overall ranks. Right around 100 right now. I'm finishing up my top 150 uh, refresh for tomorrow. And right now I've got him basically just a couple spots off of ADP. So I think it's all priced in for him. The one that's honestly tougher for me is Metcalf because your opportunity costs, right? The other guys that you're having to pass to take Metcalf. Um, and yeah, the, the talent is elite. But, you know, you've talked about, you know, where these wide receivers have finished, right? When you've got a really bad quarterback and that's what DK Metcalf is facing. Um, you know, he could pay up, pay up. He could easily pay off like a wide receiver three, you know, tag. But we're already drafting him right now as ADP is you're drafting him as a wide receiver two and you're drafting him around other guys that have wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. And that becomes the issue for Metcalf. I just think it's a lot tougher to see that wide receiver one upside. Could it happen? Yeah. Um, but I think his ADP is a bit overpriced right now, to be honest. 
Um, I think DK is one of the guys that's more overpriced um, just on his talent profile, which look, talent's the number one thing I care about. Uh, but whenever you're in potentially the worst offense in the NFL, even if you do have to throw more, that's all bad offenses. So that's kind of included in the research you've already done. You know, a lot of these bad quarterbacks that these you know receivers have to play with, guess what? They're playing from behind all the time because quarterbacks matter. That's how you get your wins in the NFL. It's one of the, the top driver, like the best stat you can tie to NFL win rates is actually yards per attempt passing. Like, so, so we know passing is huge, and a lot of that comes back to the quarterback. So I think Metcalf's overpriced. I think Tyler Lockett's priced in right now. I don't think there's really anybody else that even if the trade went down, we're going to care about in the passing game for the Seahawks. That research. Well, I guess you would say no, no fan, right? No fan is, you know, in that tied into, you know, conversation that we always have. Noah Fant probably should be the favorite to be their number three target getter. The problem is I, I think he could be their number three and have like 60 targets on the season just with Disley functioning. And Eskridge maybe making a little bit of a leap, like you drafting them in the second round for a reason. Come on. Obviously could still be a run first offense despite how bad they are. But the research you mentioned, uh, for those that didn't catch uh, some of our previews where I mentioned it, the top scoring wide receiver from a bottom 10 scoring offense has finished as the wide receiver 32 and full PPR scoring over the last five years there have been 20 instances of these low scoring offenses having a top 24 wide receiver also 20 instances of them not enabling anybody ranked higher than 35th so yes certainly does seem like Lockett. we have a few more outs at this point than metcalf at least relative to their adp ESPN had a cool article. They went through all their different beat writers around the league and basically asked who is potentially on the roster bubble. I went ahead and took the five guys that I think do have a little bit of a fantasy takeaway here. Guys to keep in mind, running back slash wide receiver, no longer wearing 88 for the New England Patriots. Ty Montgomery, running back Dearness Johnson for the Browns, running back Joshua Kelly for the Chargers, wide receiver Sammy Watkins for the Packers, and running back Giovanni Bernard for the Buccaneers. So first of all, with Ty Montgomery, have an article going up tomorrow looking at running backs that based on our PFF projections, like we just have the largest shifts in overall ranks for them going from PPR to standard. And both Damon Harris and Ramondre Stevenson were popping on that big time. Not a guy had even, I believe 20 targets on the season last year. And yes, there is optimism that maybe Stevenson could get that pass down role, but if he's going to get that pass down role, he's going to need James White to start the season on the pup. It's possible coming off that, you know, terrible hip injury. Also, it helped a lot of Ty Montgomery's out of the picture. Also, would help if Damon Harris doesn't simply take more pass down work. Also, would help if Pierre Strong, who got drafted all of what nine picks after Ramondre Stevenson, isn't involved. Also, needs JJ Taylor, Kevin Harris not to really be there. So it it could happen. Stevenson's going like outside the top thirty six running backs. I have found myself getting him in a couple drafts. I don't quite get like the sleeper of the year hype that seems to be going there. It would help if Ty Montgomery was at least out of the picture, Dwayne. But then again, maybe the fact that we're having to at least somewhat worry about guys like Ty Montgomery and last year, Brandon Bolden, maybe that tells you all you need to know about the situation that we always think we have figured out this time of the year before September hits and we realize, oh yeah, it's the Patriots. We don't know shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Ty Montgomery doesn't bother me. Like he's just a dude. Like I'm so is Bolden though. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm just I'm not really worried about it to be honest. Like, I, look, Steve, I'm with you on Stevenson, but I think sometimes like some of these guys we're talking about, like they are nitpicking. But I think the bigger issue is that they did spend a similar pick to what they used on Stevenson on Pierre Strong Jr. Like he concerns me a lot more than Ty Montgomery. Um, you know, definitely James White, right? We got to see what's going on there. Obviously, his contract is almost nothing, right? So he could also easily be cut and it wouldn't really hurt the Patriots at all. Like if, if James White gets cut, like that's 
that's when things really get interesting. I think, you know, for, for Ramondre Stevenson, if he doesn't get cut, we know they're not cutting, you know, Pierre strong, even if Pierre strong has a bad camp, whatever, like they spend enough draft capital, he's going to be around. Um, we don't always see the Patriots use their rookie running backs. You know, that there's a pretty long track record there. Um, but I think last year, yeah. And I think each case is a little bit different, but even with Stevenson, right. It took multiple things, right. To keep getting him back on the field. It wasn't like he just took over the job and ran away with it. But Having said all that, like M- Montgomery is not really something I'm worried about. It's like, I do want to keep an eye though. Like what's going to go, what's going to happen with James White? What are the Patriots doing with this Kyle Shanahan t- type stuff they're trying to install? Is this just like something they want to sprinkle in? Is their offense changing? Because Pierre Strong Jr. could be the best wide zone runner they have, right? So if all of a sudden they're shifting gears week by week and deciding, well, we're going to use power or we're going to use more outside zone based on our opponent, right? Whatever. And their defensive ends and how big are their linebackers? You, you know, Bill Belichick's brain's just like going a million miles to nothing. Um, and so I think there is just risk more from, you know, the late round pick or the fourth round pick at running back than some of the others. But it's enough that I'm like you. I don't have a lot of exposure to Ram- Ramondre Stevenson. I've got him in the same tier as Ronald Jones, Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White, Daryl Henderson, all those guys. But it's hard for me to really wrap my mind around a a real reason I want to take him ahead of those guys. Right. Um, like Isaiah Spiller. I know there's just really Eckler. Um, I'm not, I don't care about Roundtree and Josh Kelly. We've seen enough of that. Rashad white, you know, we know they don't like Keyshawn Vaughn. So if suddenly Leonard Fournette went down and maybe he carves out some of the passing down role, um, Daryl Henderson, we know he's the clear cut back that goes behind cam Akers, you know, who's still coming off, you know, that Achilles injury. Um, you know, we also know that, Daryl Henderson could carve out the passing down role, right? Or he could just get 30% of the work, which could be similar to what Ramondre Stevenson gets, right? 30, 35% of the work is probably what we're hoping for with Stevenson. So that's where it's difficult for me. Um, It's just prioritizing him over those other guys I have in the tier and he goes ahead of all them. So I don't end up getting him a lot. In fact, I think you could make an argument that Melvin Gordon is the same thing as Ramondre Stevenson. And so that that's the bigger challenge for me with Stevenson. I think he fits in the tier that we want, which is this potential upside back. He does have more blockers to his path to your point because of the way the Patriots have always handled things. And there are these other guys that just go a little bit behind him. And I like them just as much, if not more. And so my exposure is really low on Ramondre Stevenson. And we can't just, again, nitpick certain pieces of data and not hold those things against everyone involved. You can't say, well, Damon Harris basically got a redshirt year as a rookie, so Pierre Strong's going to, and just completely ignore the fact that Ramondre Stevenson got plenty of run at last year as a rookie, or the fact that in our last most recent sample size with the season on the line, last game of the year, Dwayne couldn't hold anything back in that Buffalo game. Who out-snapped and out-targeted Ramondre Stevenson? Brandon Bolden. Now I know Brandon Bolden's out of the picture, but when a 30 plus year old career special teamer was enough to keep Stevenson off the field on pass downs and the Patriots go out of their way to draft another running back to re-sign James White and to act guys like timeout certainly does have to be considered in the ever evolving New England backfield. You mentioned before about Joshua Kelly not really being worried about him or Larry Roundtree to begin with. I am with you there. Isaiah Spiller continues to be a solid value in that same sort of range we were just talking about with Stevenson. Cleveland's going to be very interesting, Dwayne. On our Cleveland Browns team preview, we talked about how the problem, especially for Nick Chubb right now, is the fact that he's two injuries away from getting that three-down roll. If Kareem Hunt gets hurt again, it's going to be Dearness Johnson stepping up and stealing away a lot of those pass downs for Nick Chubb. I found myself in this slight area of the unknown as we have it right now with both Dearness Johnson and Kareem Hunt. 
I don't know that they'll be cut, but they could be traded because they're both way too good enough to be cut. I don't know why the Browns would really get rid of them to begin with. So there is still a chance that I think all three end up on the roster. But Kareem Hunt, man, going, I think you could argue where about maybe even lower than where he'd be ranked. You know, if we had to go ahead to week one and he is the Browns RB2, we've seen him consistently supply top 24 value in that role. He's going outside the top 30. I don't see really anyone trading for Kareem Hunt, Dwayne, just to make him a clear backup back. He's far too good for that. Like, there's still a chance that Kareem Hunt gets traded to one of these RB needy teams, and all of a sudden we're talking about him as a legit RB1, man. He is that good. We can talk about the potential locations for that. But for me in this Cleveland backfield, I want Kareem Hunt while things are as certain as they are. Yeah, I I love Kareem Hunt, Um, and he's a player that I have – just really pushed myself over the last like week and a half to just gain more exposure because I think, you know, the outs are just huge. Number one, he's being underdrafted anyway, um, based on how good of a player he is, right? His talent. I mean, you can get him in the seventh, eighth round of these drafts. If you're over on underdog, sometimes he even slips a little past that. And so it's a player that's been extremely efficient, great in the passing game. He can play every down. Um, you know, he's up there with all the league leaders and all the things we care about, the missed tackles force per attempt, the explosive rush rate, um, yards after contact. It's just like it's it's a great you know, running back profile. And so we know Cleveland's going to be committed to the run game. We know that he gets the leading scripts. He gets the trailing scripts. Um, he gets a lot of the pass down work. And even if it's a game that's right down the middle, he gets to still like every third series from, you know, Nick Chubb. So, you know, could Dearness Johnson chew into a little bit of that? Yeah. But I think where you're getting him right now, that's, it's all priced in. Like, and if for some reason he gets traded to Buffalo, the Rams, um, we could pretty much name anywhere, right? Um, I mean, there's obviously there's some teams that we could name. We'd be like, ah, oh, it'd just be the same situation. Like I've seen people throw out the Saints. Yeah, it, it'd be nice for the games if if Kamara is out, right? For multiple games, it, it'd be nice. But then once Kamara's back, right, you're dealing with the same kind of thing you're dealing right. with Chubb, right? He probably just tanks both both teams. But even then, like he's gonna have value no matter where he lands. I don't see his value going down no matter what the trade is. But it could definitely go up. If he landed in the perfect spot, like if he landed with Buffalo, oh. he would be a first round pick in fantasy. He would move into the first round. If not, you know, the 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 early second round would be the latest. Kansas City to, reunion. He went to Kansas City. Same thing would happen. Yeah. Same thing would happen. Like at a minimum, he would be a second round pick. I think if he went to the Rams at a minimum, you're looking at, you know, a third, fourth round pick. I don't think you get to the first round there because you have enough people that still believe you know, in acres and we like acres too, but cream hunts on another level, right? It's just a different plane. Um, and, and that's the thing. His, his underlying profile is better than most backs in the league. Not, not just, Hey, top 15, like it's like top eight or nine. Like, so it's pretty much anywhere he lands, he's going to carve out a role. It's just a matter. Does he land in the spot that we're just like, Oh my God, like I was getting cream hunt in the eighth and ninth round. Could you imagine if you, if you're sitting there and you've got like 20 shares of cream hunt, you know, on your 50 teams and all of a sudden he lands in Buffalo or with the Rams. Like you're going to be elated. So to me, you're getting him at his floor and he has outs to vastly outperform his ADP right now. So I think he's someone that we should be targeting heavily. Keep buying all the Kareem Hunt. Sammy Watkins, I just think it's a good uh, reminder for everyone that, guys, he only got 350 k guaranteed here. Like, he really is not a lock to make this final roster. If he doesn't, obviously could feel a lot better about Christian Watson being on the field early and often. Not expecting, like, Sammy to beat out Watson for the entire season, but it happens. Like, that was an issue with Rashad Bateman's breakout last year. Like, Sammy Watkins is a progress stopper, and if he's out of the picture, it just makes things that much easier to project things for. 
for everyone else. I have been slightly just souring on the idea of adding walk-ins to uh, my rosters later in drafts, only really doing it these days if I already have Aaron Rodgers. Also, no Giovanni Bernard would be a good sign for Rashad White, who you talked about a little bit earlier, Dwayne. Let's talk a little more, though, about the Chiefs. Several nice updates from the Athletics. Nate Taylor, appreciate all the athletic beat writers giving us some nice insight into OTAs. Reported that Marquez Valdez-Scaling was, quote-unquote, the best receiver during the Chiefs offseason program. Also considers Ronald Jones a, quote-unquote, legit candidate to earn the Chiefs starting job over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and also expects Jarek McKinnon to make the 52-man roster. So first takeaway, Dwayne. I, I continue to not be worried at all about Juju Smith-Schuster. I continue to not draft him as a top 30 receiver. Like, when the best thing we can say about Juju, we have to go back three years for it to say it. Like, man, let's worry about 2022. There's a real chance that MBS in the year 2022 is better than Juju Smith-Schuster. And the disparity in ADP right now is just completely unwarranted, in my opinion. So that's my thought in the wide receiver room. At running back, Less and less inclined to take Clyde Ebersolaire. I really have been ever since they brought McKinnon back. And this just kind of reinforces the idea that Clyde finally getting that target share might remain a pipe dream. Meanwhile, Ronald Jones, Dwayne, the three top candidates, I think, to be this year's version of James Conner, Ronald Jones, Jamal Williams, and Melvin Gordon. A little bit different. I understand Rojo is by far the worst receiver out of that group. But man, we could look up here. And week 16, week 17, see Rojo as the lead early down back on the Chiefs. That could easily equal 1,000-plus rushing yards and 10 touchdowns. Win. Yeah, so I'll hit on all those. Um, MVS, you know, his his ADP, like, is really, you know, the challenge. Like, it just it, – it keeps it keeps rising. Like, and he's just never proven anything before is the problem. Like, never in PFF receiving grade. So that's something that totally se- separates, right, what he's been able to do. Um, away from the quarterback, um, even in the games where Aaron Rodgers has been without Devontae Adams, at least Alan Lazard, even though it's on a limited sample of like only 100 routes, you know, was able to flash a little bit of something to us. MVS never was able to. Um, so I, it's just hard for me to get behind MVS. Um, you know, his ADP just it, it's going to have to come down a little bit. You know, I'm a little bit behind ADP um, on MVS like he's moved up in my ranks a little bit because again, I do anchor things with, you know, the ADP, but still like versus underdog, I'm minus 25 versus ADP. You go over on something like FFP and, and that's obviously half point best ball. So there's an impact and you got to start three receivers. You got to remember, you know, the format that you're talking about. And then over on FFPC, um, thanks fantasy mojo, which is a full point PPR. And we're not talking about best ball anymore. I'm a lot closer, right. With my rank versus, versus MVS. So much more willing to take him in a format like that versus one where I think he's been taken about 25 spots ahead of where I want to take him. Um, I'm kind of the opposite. I've actually warmed a little bit on Juju. I know we do have to go back. Um, you know, a ways, and we talk through that. And I'm it's like, it's I, if folks want to check it out. You can just search at Dwayne McFarlane and Juju Smith Schuster on Twitter, and like you'll see like all the stuff that I laid out about Juju. Or you can go see read my wide receiver tier articles, which were refreshed last year or last week. It's got all the information there about Juju as well and the struggles that Ian talked about and he highlighted. The one thing I'll say for Juju is he's going to get to work inside from the slot, right? Um, so we know that there's a chance he doesn't have to face the better coverage. We also know that he has at least done it. Right. He has at least shown in PFF receiving grade, in fantasy finishes, in yards per route run, targets per route run, all these things, even though they've gone down, we've at least seen him do it in the past. So I do think, 
you know, that Juju Smith-Schuster is still the guy I would rather have. Now, to your point, ADP is is where the challenge comes in. <laughs> you know, his ADP is quite a bit more. Um, but I've basically gotten Juju almost, I've got him now ranked a lot closer to his ADP um, than where I had him before. And again, a lot of it comes into like as I'm reworking the ranks and just working through some of the other players and some of the things that, you know, we've been discussing. Um, you know, it's, it's mostly about the access to the Kansas City offense for a player that we at least know has done it in the past. So he's not a priority. Um, he's not somebody that I'm going to be trying to roster on a bunch of my teams, but I am going to at least have some exposure with where I've got Juju moved to right now. Uh, the Ronald Jones thing, man, uh, I love it. Like Rojo is one of my most rostered, you know, backs. Um, I've also, like you, um, and I think the day that Jarek McKinnon signed, somebody reached out. I think we had just done the Chiefs pod maybe. And we had talked about, man, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, probably a guy we need inside our top 50. The next day, Jarrett McKinnon signs, and people are like, <laughs> how do you feel? And my answer was, the fact that I have to even stop to think about how this makes me uh, feel for a you know a, a, a journeyman, basically, at this point in Jarrett McKinnon signing, and me worrying that, is that going to take all of Clyde Edwards-Alaire? You know, is that going to block him from the passing down game? The fact that I just had to think about that was enough that I had to move Clyde Edwards-Alaire down the rank. So I did have him at 50 in my last top 150. Um, I've moved him down to 65 now in the update that'll be coming out tomorrow. You know, he'll, or he'll be somewhere right around there. I may still tweak a couple of these before I hit publish on this bad boy. But, you know, about a 15-spot drop just because of Jarek McKinnon. You're still getting access to the Chiefs offense. All the things I think we said about Edwards Alaire before are true. If for some reason, really, the only reason he hasn't performed is because he's been dealing with the 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 lower body injuries, right? He's had the ankle and the knee injuries in his rookie and in his second season. We know now that he was dealing with a gallbladder surgery or some issue that, you know, caused him to be playing at like 160 pounds when he first got to camp last year or something along those lines. He was at 160 and he had to gain this weight back to try and play. I think that's those things are all still true. Right. The fact that Andy Reid's offense has shown us in the past that it can really feed the running backs. Right. They can get a lot out of their screen game, things like that. Edward Delaire, that that path is all still there to him. It's just I'm just not quite as bullish just because, you know, the fact that they did bring McKinnon back. And again, that speaks to it in itself. But I'll still be looking for access to, you know, Clyde Edward Delaire because, again, does get you to the Chiefs but just not going to be the way I was early on, which was really being above the market, right, on exposure. Now I'll be looking to be more like even. I want to mix in some Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'm not going to totally avoid him, but not a player that I'm going to go nuts on. Last thing on Chiefs wide receivers. I'm not here to bash Juju. I think I've done that enough uh, throughout this short summer already. But, man, there's four main wide receivers here. There's Sky Moore, there's Miko Hardman, there's Juju Smith-Schuster, and there's Marquez Baldwin-Scantling. Out of those four, I think it's pretty clear to see which one is the most different skill set-wise. That is MBS. Could this be like what we talked about in Green Bay, Dwayne, where MBS is like the Alan Lazard, the leader, but not really the leader, and then everyone else is rotating? Yeah, I think that's a real possibility that it's just, you know, uh, Kelsey leading, right? Obviously the team, yeah, you know, yeah. he could push for like a 24, 25% target share, and everybody else is just hoping to get to like 18 like, I think that's a very likely outcome. Um, so, I mean, Sky Moore is still my favorite receiver on the Chiefs to draft, and his ADP has fallen. You know, people have started to back off on Sky Moore now. So you can get him roughly right around the same spot that you're getting MVS, and actually he's going after MVS in some drafts. So I think Sky Moore, you know, looking at him, does have the second-round capital, 
is a player that was really good in college on the NFL staple route. So the, the route that the NFL likes to use the most. So he is probably more ready than what people think, despite the fact that he went to a smaller school. And now his ADP is sagging to where it's even or below MVS. So for me, like Sky Moore is the player that I'm going to have the most exposure to in this passing game because of ADP and because of the profile um, coming out of college. Amon Ross St. Brown, Russell Gage. Give me these guys over Juju. They're better, Dwayne, and they would probably get more targets too. Yeah. Yes. I have Amon Ra, you know, ahead of him. I've got Russell Gage and Juju right next to each other, one, you know, now. But uh, I've got Rashad Bateman, Gabriel Davis, all these guys, you know, are all ahead of Juju Smith Schuster. Where he starts to fit in, right, is you start to get to where you've got Juju versus Elijah Moore. We like Elijah Moore's talent profile a lot more, right? At this point, like Elijah flashed in a really big way last year. But we know he's got a challenge, right? He's got more target competition with Garrett Wilson. We already got Corey Davis there. We got questions at quarterback. Got questions about the offense overall. You talk about a player like Darnell Mooney, similar, right? It's going to be an offense that could be really bad. He could lead the way in targets for that team. So he's fitting into a range like those guys, right? So it's like you're kind of making your choice. You want to bet on the offense and a profile that we need to make a rebound, or you want to bet you know, on the talent and know that we're going to have to have multiple things happen within the offense to help unleash the talent. So um, I think that's a good range to think about Juju, and I think you can just mix it up. I'm going to run through a few of these. I don't think are overly important, but I felt like writing them down on our show sheet. Anyway, the athletics, Jeff Rebeck reports that it's highly unlikely that J.K. Dobbins, due to his ACL, plays his preseason. Again, going back to the podcast with Dr. Edwin Porras, the complications with Dobbins' knee surgery does make the pup list Man, maybe likely, definitely a possibility. Gus Edwards also coming off the knee injury, but far more likely to be out there week one. Wouldn't be shocked that they do bring back Devontae Freeman at some point. Again, he was serviceable for them last year. Certainly wasn't as washed as some of the other veteran backs they brought in at various points. Also saw Michael Thomas spotted running routes on Instagram with the ankle injury. Sure, uh, sure as hell a lot better than the last video we got of him. I've been basically doing box jumps, and it's like, man, this is how as far along as you are in rehab right now. Last game of football was on January 17, 2021. Not quite as far back as I expected. Dwayne, right now at Michael Thomas, he is going off the board at underdog fantasy as the wide receiver 39 slipping a little bit. DeAndre Hopkins is that wide receiver 36. I feel like if we got full like michael thomas is good to go we're fine how far up is he rising because i put him ahead of guys like amari cooper chris goblin like i think he'd be in the top 30 for sure but it's a new new system not necessarily a new system but sean payton is out of the picture so we will have a new play caller we have a new quarterback and like chris Olave, man Michael Thomas's biggest target competition was like 36-year-old Ted Ginn when he was doing his thing out there. Like, I really think there's a chance, and maybe I'm just trying to hype up myself for having, I believe, second most exposure to, uh, to Chris Olave of any other wide receiver right now on the old uh, underdog exposure tab. But, like, isn't Michael Thomas maybe being expected a little bit too much for right now ahead of Chris Olave? Well, his ADP is really falling. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at him, um, like, he's falling like, 15 to 20 spots, depending on like what side on what site you're looking at. So to me, like, I think he's fine. Cause I think he, I've still got him graded right now as a low end wide receiver three. Um, you know, it's a boom bust kind of thing, right? We may not see him, but if he's out there, 
he could very easily put up a wide receiver two season. And we know his wide receiver one is within his range of outcomes. You know, even, even with additional target exposure, I think wide receiver two would be solid if we know he's back. So I think, yeah, he's going to definitely rise up boards. Um, if we start to hear that he's healthy and he's out there practicing, catching passes, you know, um, you know, if he gets out there, I, I doubt we see him in a preseason game, but if he's just going full go and practice, like that will be enough, right? He'll probably move ahead of Adam Thielen, Devonta Smith, um, you know, you'd move him up probably ahead of Darnell Mooney, Elijah Moore, a lot of the guys we just talked about. I think the range where you start to get to where it's like, OK, do you like him more than Juju Smith-Schuster and Russell Gage, you know, Monroe St. Brown? Like he starts probably mixing in somewhere in that area. So the way I'm approaching Michael Thomas right now is just when he falls past ADP, just take him. And, you know, I kind of handled De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins the same way. And we've talked about it a little bit. It's like almost every draft. All of a sudden, everybody decides they're going to make a stand on one of these guys. We're like, not taking him, just going to let him fall. So you can just let that be the draft um, where you where you take him. Um, I think the the bigger question, you know, with Thomas when he comes back is what do we think that, you know, might do to some of these other guys? Right. Does how does that make us think about Chris Olave, which I don't think Olave's ADP is out of hand anyway. Right. It's no. probably not going to change a lot for me um, with Chris Olave. Um, Jarvis Landry. You know, I don't know how much I would want to invest in Jarvis Landry, right? If we know that Michael Thomas is probably going to be working, you know, coming in motion, working inside, you know, he could work downfield some too. You know, he's going to have Jameis, but I think him and Landry are going to be competing a lot, right? For those looks. I think Alave clearly profiles as the guy that can work outside and down the field, which is where Jameis wants to go. Maybe Michael Thomas, you know, can do that. I know that, you know, he played with Drew Brees, right? So we have to caveat everything Michael Thomas did when people named him Slant Boy. Would he play with a quarterback that wanted to show you wanted to throw uh, you know short quick passes? And look at the other quarterbacks, Teddy freaking two gloves and Taysom Hill, who wants yeah. crow hopped <laughs> like three times to throw a football 30 yards. Exactly. So I think you, you got to consider those things when you think about what's really the range of outcomes on Thomas's role within the offense, right? Could he work downfield more and those sort of things? I think it's all possible. But for me, again, a Tom, with Thomas just taking him, you know, when he slides past ADP, Alave still willing to target him right at, you know, or above ADP. Jarvis Landry, I'm only taking when he's falling. All these first-round wide receivers are falling, man. Like Drake London now sitting as the wide receiver, 37. I've been happy to scoop him up at that spot. Alave, yeah, Alave's right there next to Traylon Burks there, basically low-end wide receiver four. Garrett, Dotson. um, I mean, all these guys now are just super affordable. Do any of these receivers strike you as like the potential to be this year's Jalen Waddle? Because I am starting to get a little bit of those vibes. We talked about Olave, but also, man, Jahan Dotson, he's going outside the top 60 right now. Like, throw away your pre-draft evaluation of this guy right now. If I just told you at the 16th overall pick, who is projected to be the number two target getter in an offense, is available outside the top 60 wide receivers, I just feel like that's an auto-draft, man. And once you do start looking a little bit closer, like, okay, maybe his RAS score isn't quite as, you know, borderline erotic as we would prefer. But, man, do put a lot of good stuff on film at Penn State. You know, we've actually already gotten word from Washington that he should be a starting slot receiver flashing all over the place. But they even threw the caveat in there, similar, same thing they said about Kadarius Tony, is that he can also play out there um, out wide as well. So I think I accidentally messed up that Tony note. So Tony aside for a second, man. Jahan Dotson, again, going outside the top 60, 16th overall pick. 
I think he's freaking good, Dwayne. I went back and I was watching, you know, YouTube highlight watching, having a good time here on like a Monday afternoon or whatever. And the dude really, the contested catches he was able to put on film for a 5'11", dude. I mean, I understand why Mike Renner and our draft guy was talking about his catch radius really being huge for a guy his size. He looks like a pint-sized alpha out there. Terry McLaurin is the one. I know it's Carson Wentz, but, you know, Look at the other quarterbacks out there. I don't think Carson Wentz is necessarily that huge of a downgrade versus where the other quarterbacks are going. Dotson seems to, again, there's just this massive gap between Dotson and the rest of the first-round wide receivers. I'm not sure it's warranted. Yeah, and it's, I mean, this is one that we've been talking about, like, since right after the draft. Um, you know, I, I, we are starting to see the rookie price tags come down, and I think this is something that we see a lot of times um, because people are excited about the draft, right? A lot of people are doing their rookie dynasty leagues, and so, like, these, we've got these different kind of fantasy seasons that converge, right? You've got, you've got the dynasty rookie draft crowd going crazy, right? And then they jump into a bunch of redrafts. So what does that do? That pushes up the ADPs of all the rookies. Then you get, you know, more of the people just care about season long and they're jumping or best ball, right? And season long, and then they're jumping in. And so I think you start to see these natural adjustments, you know, in ADP. And that's why we're seeing some of the rookies, you know, come down. I mean, if you think about it, pretty much every year we get a group of rookie wide receivers that settle in like that eight, nine, like basically rounds eight through 12, right? And that's where they are right now. But to your point, the one that's not is Jahan Dotson. And, you know, he's been at a disconnect all year. He is starting to move up a little bit, you know, in ADP. Um, but at the same time, like he's still too far away from all the other guys. I've got I've on FFPC, I'm 20 spots ahead of ADP and that's redraft. So and in best ball, I'm 16 spots ahead of ADP over on underdog on Jahan Dotson. So a player that I have a lot of exposure to. I think you're hitting all the right notes. You're going in the first round in the top 16 picks. There's just no way that you should be going this low, you know, in drafts. Now we did hear with Dotson that he's going to work mostly from the slot. So the thing that we'll want to know from Washington you know, is what do we think their base personnel is going to be? It would make sense to me, Ian, that it might be 11, right? You spent money on Curtis Samuel last year, and you're going to have him healthy. It might be the best thing. You just have three wide receivers out there. You've got a, you've got two backs that are good receivers as well. That could put defenses in a bind. But we do have, um, you know, the stodgy Ron Rivera, right, as the head coach. So we don't know. Like, they could still try to use more heavy personnel, silly stuff like that. But to me, game scripts that they're probably going to be in and the fact that the talent they have now makes sense to me that they would use 11 more often than not. The other question that we have to have is, okay, great. When they go to two wide receiver sets, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a rotation? Is it going to be, you know, Samuel? Is it going to be Dotson? Because if, if Dotson's going to mostly play from the slot, that means Curtis Samuel gets to play outside. I think that's positive for him. It could mean that he's going to be on the field, you know, quite a bit more than what we expected. And remember, like the last time we saw Curtis Samuel get to play outside and play, you know, pretty much like an every down receiver role with Carolina – he had Kyle Allen as his quarterback. And, you know, I think you've highlighted this multiple times. I've seen oh, Jay yeah. Moyer highlighted on Twitter. Like, talk about a huge season that was all there for the taking and his quarterbacks just couldn't hit him or didn't see him wide open all the time. Um, like, Samuel still has upside, and, like, you, he's free. Like, right now, I think his ADP is, like, down in the one, 170s or something. Like, you can get him at the very end of drafts. Um, you know, and, again, kind of going back to Carson Wentz, he's an easy quarterback, like, to set up you know, um, and set up stacks with late and you don't have to force it. Right. You just kind of see how your draft goes. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and throw Carson Wentz on this team. I've got two receivers, you know, from the commanders. Looking forward to your training camp article. that should be out here in the next few weeks, Dwayne, because the dots and slot thing is going to be a big part of that. Here's the actual quote on that though, from the ESPN article talking about the NFC East teams. He will mostly play in the slot alongside Terry McLaurin, though Dotson also can work outside at times. So, 
we'll see. What's that telling us? Maybe freaking nothing. But yeah, if we need to see who's going to be. It the just guy tells us it's the question we need to try to figure out if we can. And sometimes yeah. we can't figure these things out, right? And I think they're going in the right order now, right? It should easily be Samuel up top. We know that. Dotson should be the next one off the board. Um, and then, but just don't forget about Samuel. Um, and we'll see if we can, if we can pick up more information on that through the preseason, obviously we can adjust things. Um, but I, I like all of them at their ADPs. The athletics, Joe Biscalgia expects James Cook to operate as the Bills third down back and see snaps at receiver specifically said Cook will likely likely mix in on obvious passing situations. And when the Bills feel comfortable enough to use two running back sets and split him out wide, they'll also aim to keep Devin Singletary fresher by giving Cook early down snaps throughout the game. Singletary in that article I mentioned popped as one of the most severe running backs that if you are going to draft Devin Singletary, you should do it in standard leagues. Now, we've already seen this kind of be a problem for Bill's running backs to begin with. They're only 27th in targets over the past two seasons, also only tied for 25th and carries inside the five yards line. Like you look at the expected points from backfields over the past two years and you see these uh, Texans, the Giants, just like complete trash teams and like the Bills are just there for some reason. And that reason is just because of the style that Josh Allen plays with. Obviously, it's a great style that's going to lead the Bills to plenty of more victories, plenty of more points. It's just not great for their running backs. So if they keep falling, Dwayne, we don't hate the player. We hate the ADP. Maybe, maybe, maybe James Cook gets this big receiving role, but I just don't know where, man, because it sure as hell doesn't sound like he's going to have many snaps or carries and early downs. Now, if Devin Singletary gets hurt, maybe they do view Cook as a competent enough runner to kind of give him that Alvin Kamara-esque role where he's getting so many targets. Who really cares what's going on with the rush attempts uh, anyway? Do you have any overall thoughts on the Buffalo backfield, or is it more still just a situation that we're staying away from? No, I mean, I've been drafting James Cook. Like, I, I want access to it because it is the, the offense that could potentially throw the ball the most in the league, right? And that helps offset the fact that, yes, Josh Allen does run the ball. But if you're in the offense, it's going to throw it the most. We also don't know for sure what's going to happen with the, you know, the number who's who's the number two target, you know, behind Stefan Diggs. It could be just like what we talked about in Kansas City. Yes, we like Gabriel Davis. You know, we've talked through that. Um but it could easily also be like what we're talking about with the Chiefs, right? Where the outcome could be 25, 30% target share to Stefan Diggs and like all these other guys around 17 to 18%. Well, James Cook could really work his way in there. Um, and if he's all of a sudden, if he sees, you know, 15% of the targets in this offense is going to throw the ball all the time and, and they feel like they've got to spread it around because they don't really have a true number two to step up and take over. Like that could be a really good outcome, you know, for James Cook, despite the fact that we've got to deal with Josh Allen not wanting to throw the ball as much to backs. The one thing I will say, the backs that tend to continue to get the targets down the field, we even saw this with Taysom Hill with Alvin Kamara. You know, remember at first everybody was so freaked out, you know, with Kamara. And then all of a sudden Taysom Hill just started peppering him, right? With those targets. The key is, is it a back that can work down the field? The running back, you know, Josh Allen is not going to check it down to Devin Singletary when he sees he has a lane for 15 yards right? He knows he has it. He's just going to go. James Cook, if he's working, you know, four or five yards down the field, right? And he's already has those five yards. That becomes a different situation. And typically those backs are more sticky when we talk about their ability to continue to repeat, right? Their target shares or their targets per route run. So I look at James Cook as a little bit of a different back versus what we've seen with Singletary, what we've seen in the past, you know, in the Buffalo offense. So to me, it's a chip I get to put on one of the offenses I like the most. We're not for sure who the number two target option is. It also checks the archetype I want, you know, in the between like rounds nine and 11 of fantasy drafts, which is explosive playmaker, 
right? James Cook broke plenty of big plays. Yes, he was in a committee in college. We all know this. Um, but the other part is he's got the receiving upside. So James Cook is a player that I definitely want to be at least at, if not over exposure, you know, versus the field. I think everything you said is fair. Um, but it's just too good of an offense for me to pass it up because we see this. We see think we see people evolve. We see these coaches decide, you know what, we're just gonna do it. We're gonna make it work for James Cook and we're gonna get him the ball. Um, and it's just hard for me to fade that, like once we get into those rounds. So I mean, I've got him in a tier like that's around that archetype. It's Kareem Hunt, it's Correll Patterson, Chase Edmonds, James Cook. They're all a very similar, you know, archetype. And feel free to prioritize James Cook in keeper formats because Devin Singletary is an unrestricted free agent next year. We usually do see a nice little leap uh, positive in terms of ADP between these, you know, first, second round running backs from their rookie year to their second year. Let's talk a little Alvin Kamara, Dwayne. We haven't gotten any updates legally, but we did have friend of the pod, Drew Davenport at Drew Davenport FF do another one of his nice legal threads uh, just about the situation. So Drew's point was that Unless the video that we allegedly is out there, unless that video is leaked, it would seem like the case needs to play out before the league is going to act. That seems to be their new policy. They're going to let things get done in court before they rule a suspension. That's why we are not worried about Dalvin Cook for right now because his court date is just too far removed for us to be confident that it's going to impact the suspension on the 2022 season. Again, just if things play out in court, as we know, something gets leaked out to the public and now the NFL needs to try to put the fire out. Who knows what could happen in that situation? But Per Drew, next court date is August 1st at 8.30 a.m. And he's saying how they're still going to be in pretrial negotiations. He's his point. I'm reading off his tweet. I retweeted the thread a couple days ago. You guys can check it out at iHeartits if you don't want to go to Drew's page. The state has to push for a conviction with such gnarly facts and injuries alleged. The defendant has too much at stake to walk in and plead to something that will crush him. So the likely outcome is that this case gets set for trial. Since a simple continuance of a pretrial was almost four months, I would imagine set, set, setting the case for trial would at minimum have the case on the docket for late October or even November. The defense attorneys are dumb. He hired very, really good counsel. They will set it for trial absent a no-brainer plea offer and then try to continue it out past the end of the season. Per Drew, he no longer believes that 2022 is in serious jeopardy for Alvin Kamara. Dwayne, for the first time this offseason, I have started to dabble on Alvin Kamara at his reduced ADP. Is it time to use the most recent facts we have, which again is more so Drew's interpretation of it, but I think he's done a very good job of this. He spelled out his case, you know, very cleanly in this thread. Do we get Kamara back in the top 10 where he belongs or at least get him to a point where we are trying to draft him at this reduced ADP? Because man, we know how these trials can get and they keep pushing him back and back and back. If we really are just banking on like a video release, it's starting to sound like, man, that this could be a situation that doesn't impact us till 2023. Yeah, I, I think the wild card is the video, though, right? Because if that happens, like Andrew talks about this in his thread. Yeah. So for me, it becomes opportunity costs. Like, where's the line at where you're, you want to take Camara like over the other player that you're looking at? Right. Like, so I don't think you have to do that in the second round. I think we feel good enough about Aaron Jones and DeAndre Swift. Sure. If we knew Kamara was going to play the whole season, he would be a first round pick. Right. But he did take a step back, like in every statistical category, you know, last year, um, we don't have Drew Brees. So, I mean, I think there's also a chance that Kamara, you know, is not quite what he was. So I think there's other things going on. So my challenge starts to become third round is like where you start to feel like taking a shot. 
I haven't taken a shot yet unless he's in the fourth round. And I've been able to get him like three or four times now where people are just like, eh, I don't want Kamara. Slides to you in, in the middle of the fourth round. I was doing a draft with Brian Drake the other day from Fantasy Football Hustle, and same thing happened for him. Kamara, Kamara fell to him in the middle of round four. And so I think he's an obvious pick when he makes it to you there. So the way I'm treating him is if he gets around the turn, right, at that 2-3 turn, anywhere, anywhere in there he's fair game. Um, before that, you have a little bit of a decision because, I mean, you could just go ahead and take Travis Etienne, right? A player that we project to be in a similar, you know, kind of role. If we knew Kamara was playing, yes, he absolutely ranks ahead of Etienne because we know that he's done it. But again, that's an opportunity cost that you have versus Etienne. You know, there's Michael Pittman, there's James Conner, DJ Moore, you know, Keenan Allen. There's a lot of players there that are still pretty good, you know, players. Obviously, they're going in the third round of fantasy drafts. But where it starts to, you know, the breaking point for me starts to become whenever you get to some of the other guys like, you know, Cortland Sutton, who we've seen him climb, we've seen him climb climb boards. We'll talk about him in a minute. We like him, but I probably take Kamara over Cortland Sutton, yeah. right? Jalen Waddle, we've talked about him. Take Kamara, you know, over him. Brees Hall, he certainly should go ahead of Brees Hall. We love Brees Hall, but at the same time, um, you know, Kamara getting that kind of discount. So that's kind of the range, like where I'm willing to take him. And maybe, maybe we start to take him you know, even maybe we start inching that up, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. And with where the way ADP is working out, like I'm getting the exposure I want to Camaro. Well, ha having to reach, I mean, I'm not going to take him in the second round. I see a lot of people taking him in the second round. Still, he has a really wide range. Like Camaro can go anywhere from the middle of the second round of your draft to the middle of the fourth. Right. So I'm just opting to get my shares now at that low end while it's still there. Maybe this news, like here, here's my question though, Ian, like, Drew is awesome, but how many people really get to see this content from these really good legal folks, right? No, and how much of it gets shared? And so I just wonder, like, could Kamara's ADP actually just continue to slip, right? Because maybe a narrative that's not actually factual to, you know, to Drew's point is the one that's really overtaking, you know, fantasy. And so we're seeing him slide more than ever. So I think we got to kind of wait, right, and see what happens with his ADP. But for now, I'm happy to take it below. And that way, at least I have some. If it starts to climb, I think we just got to readdress it again and decide, like, okay, like this is the new ADP. Are we willing? It is interesting. Like when they brought in Mark Ingram last year, I thought it was more of a bit at first, but then, like you know, they signed him to the two point eight million dollar extension through twenty twenty two. If you look at his pure projected workload, man, you could argue that no suspension. You could legit rank 12 backs ahead of Kamara if you wanted to, like Taylor, McCaffrey, Henry, Najee, Eckler, Dalvin, Fournette, Saquon, Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon, Devontae Williams. I would want Kamara over Connor, over Akers, over Chubb, over ETM, but that fourth round spot, that's where we're going for. Like, would even if we knew Kamara wasn't getting suspended, do you want him or Devontae Williams? Um, if I knew Kamara wasn't getting suspended, I would take him over Javante. Okay. Um, you know, if we absolutely knew Kamara was not getting suspended, like it's tough to say he's not a late first to early second round pick, I think. Right. It's just, we, we, we did see a little bit of deterioration. It could have just been a false signal, right? It's one year who knows he might've been playing more dinged up than what we thought. But I think th the problem is there is just enough of a doubt there. Plus the fact, right. That this, you know, could be something that takes a couple of paths legally, right. Just takes a path that we're not anticipating and the league forces, you know, this thing to potentially move up or the video comes out and those two, and you know, and they could both happen. So I feel like the earliest, if you, if you want to be aggressive on Camara, I would say early third would be the earliest to do it. Like I'm personally going to be more of an early fourth person for now, 
but I could get it. Like if you, you if you want to get behind an early third ADP on Camara, like I I can understand the argument there. Actually, had in our docket to talk about the Gronk retirement, and we got further news on it today, which was very convenient. Rob Gronkowski actually told Mike Reese that even if Tom Brady called, he would not change his mind. A specific quote: "I would answer, obviously, the greatest quarterback of all time. Ask him how he's doing. Tell him I'm going good, but I wouldn't go back to football. No, Dwayne, we've had some." Kate Otten, truthers, emerged from the woodwork. Mm-hmm. Of course, some are still hyping up Cam Brait as someone that has a chance to flirt with double-digit touchdowns. I just think it's inevitable that someone, uh, Greg Allman from The Athletic, float out Kyle Rudolph as a potential addition. Like, this caught the Buccaneers by a little bit of surprise, too, I feel like. They're not going into the NFL season with two freaking tight ends. Rudolph's out there. Eric Ebron's out there. Jimmy Graham is out there. Like, Brait's ADP isn't absurd or anything right now, but... I just I don't want to be, have any big takes on the Tampa Bay offense right now because it seems inevitable that a tight end is going to get added there. Also, um, when I was going through those athletic articles, uh, T.Y. Hilton to the Colts was something that they were basically talking about kind of being a inevit- inevitability at this point. So overall thoughts on, I guess, the tight end situation in Tampa Bay. And if you're, if you're doing it, because I was going through the pecking orders at tight end and like, even if Brate is their tight end one man, like once Goblin's back, he's just going to be their number five pass game option. Like, is that really something we want to go out of our way to get? Yeah, I think it's very similar to Hayden Hurst. You know, it's just a guy that if you're playing in best ball and you're trying to correlate late season games, you want to get a stack with your quarterback. Fine. Cameron Brayton, and Hayden Hurst are, are, are okay. But what's happening right now is they're going a little too high in redraft. You're never going to want to pull the trigger on putting Hayden Hurst or Cameron Brayton in your lineup you know, from a, you know, in a redraft format where you're having to pick every week, unless you're just in an absolute pinch, it's a bye week You're like, thank God he was sitting on the wire. I'll throw him out there. But Cameron Bray, like the, you know, the profile just isn't strong enough from a talent perspective. And he's got three receivers on his team that do have good talent profiles, you know, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. And then we've also got, you know, Russell Gage, who's really been ascending over the last two years. And so it, Gage just didn't get a good contract just you know, for no reason, like he actually got a contract because he's actually shown that he can be a good receiver. So I think the biggest winner, you know, from this are just the three receivers. They're going to continue to see more. And then to your point, I think Leonard Fournette will see more targets than Cameron Bray. Um, you know, or maybe Rashad White gets a little bit of a pickup, you know, from this. But I'm I'm with you. I'm fine in best ball right now. You want to get Cameron Bray late. I think it's good. Not really touching him in redraft. Let's talk a little Chris Goblin. Got an update from ESPN's Adam Schefter, who Apparently, one year spent $16,000 <laughs> on chocolate to send to sources and some ESPN co-workers. Got to uh, write it off the old taxes because those are actually business expenses. Apparently, must be nice. Bro, I've never even seen sixteen grand in my bank account. This dude's spending it on chocolate. Like, okay, how poor for me. But my God, Dwayne, on chocolate? <laughs> like, give me something yeah, useful at least. Uh, who the hell wants that much chocolate? I don't know. I don't know, but evidently it's working. (laughs) I guess it is. So my uh, goodness. All right. Well, a lot of that is to agents. (laughs) Chocolate aside. So here's the thing. Schefter went on NFL live. He did not tweet this, which makes me wonder if it's like the classic fantasy football podcast strategy where, you know, Dwayne, like how many hours have we freaking talked this off season? It'd be like if we went back like, you know, in late September and just took some random June episode and clipped like, 
a minute and a half out of like a 90 minute edition and be like, see, look, we told you guys right here, but we didn't tweet it because we weren't really that as confident in it. And that is what I wonder what's going on here because per Schefter, the Buccaneers are quote unquote hopeful. Goblin will return by week one. Schefter added it's quote unquote, not out of the question, but he did say he would be surprised if the star receiver suited up for any preseason games. Our lovely resident, not not a resident expert, but fantasy points medical expert, Dr. Evan Porras said it would be irresponsible basically for Goblin to be cleared any earlier than October. Once again, he just got paid $60 million over three years, $40 million guaranteed. The Buccaneers, I mean, look at the NFC South. I don't think they have anything to worry about early on. This is a team playing for January, February. I am still under the assumption, Dwayne, that we are not going to see Chris Goblin back until mid-October at the earliest. I am not changing my ranks based on this news. We even had Greg Allman in the same week at The Athletic talk about how basically, this was his quote, the optimistic view would be that Goblin is back practicing during preseason and close enough to be on the initial 53-man roster, but the goal is to have him fully healthy when it matters most this season, so it wouldn't be surprising if they took a slower approach, had him on the pup list. First six weeks of the season, actually four, leaning on Russell Gage as a number two earlier in the year. We'll pull up the Tampa Bay schedule going into next season. But, Dwayne, did you change your overall ranks based on the Schefter? Not not a bomb, more like you know, like a Schefter fart or something going on there. Because, again, like if you're serious about it, tweet it, man. Yeah, I think we had to address it, though, because it kind of caught fire on fantasy Twitter. You know, everybody was sending it around. We were getting the retweets of the quote, you know, over Chris Godwin's face from all these different places. So, no, I'm not moving him right now. Um, so I'll continue to be below the market on Chris Godwin. I think the other issue for Godwin is even if he does manage, right, to make it back by week one, obviously that would be a big boost to his fantasy value. But even then, like, is he going to be ready, right? And so I think there's this issue where even if we get him back early, they could bring him along slowly. You know, there's a lot of different outcomes that could happen with Chris Godwin. And we're just really too close to, you know, based on, you know, not mine and your opinions, right? The people that actually study this stuff from the medical community, um, we're just too close to where, uh, you know, to Chris Godwin's injury to be that excited, you know, about him. If we get better news, right, as training camp's going, that all of a sudden Chris Godwin's in full practice mode, right, by early August, and we think he's going to start week one, and he's backing it up with full practices, things like that, I think then, right, we can make an adjustment, you know, on Godwin. But for right now, no, I've got Godwin actually – um, I dropped, you know, my new 150. He's going to be 25, 25 spots lower than where he was in my first 150, which came out about a month ago. Um, 10 spots below ADP on Underdog, 14 spots below ADP over on FFPC. Thanks at Fantasy Mojo. So I'm with you. I'm kind of fading this. Um, it just kind of went wild. So I thought we should talk about it. The one thing I would say, like, is if we if we do think Chris Godwin, if we get new indicators that Godwin is going to be back and he is going to be starting, and we get it backed up by practices, things like that. You know, it definitely would impact Mike Evans, right? It would impact Russell Gage. The The biggest thing for Mike Evans all of last year were the games Chris Godwin missed. When Antonio Brown left the lineup, it didn't really do anything for Evans. But once Godwin was out, man, his target shares, you know, they shot through the roof. His fantasy finishes shot through the roof. So um, the, the only thing I would say is, is the more confident we get that Godwin actually is, you know, maybe ahead of schedule, even if that means maybe he's still going to miss four games and we think he could be, you know, better sooner rather than later, I think those things potentially move Evans down a little bit, right? Not somebody we have to get carried away with, but I did finally move Mike Evans up just because once, once Gronk was gone, you know, thinking Godwin's not going to play until October, November, 
yes, we love Russell Gage, but like there's no way to not have, you know, Mike Evans inside your top 10 receivers with all that news. And so Evans is a guy that I'm going to stick with it, though. I'm moving him up nine spots in my 150. And despite this news, like I'm, I'm not changing my stance on that. 100. All right. Three more quick topics here. Do we need to talk Watson really brain Watson really Dwayne? I mean, I I, th- I think they said that the let's hold off on Watson because the last update, well, I we kind of hit it earlier. We hit it earlier when, when you talked about, okay. And, uh, and, all, and also, um, I think I saw it. There wasn't going to be any decision before this week, but that means there could be a decision this week. So at the risk of, you know, once there's a Watson decision, we'll be back here quickly and we will break it down. Cause I think it finally might be imminent, but yeah, you know, here's I think the just, biggest takeaway there is it's more and more likely. It just looks like we're not going to have Watson. Right. So yeah. I think you got to, you just got to start treating the whole offense like that. That means That's you, how we've be been below, doing it. Yeah. you got to be below market, you know, on Amari Cooper, you need to be below market, probably on Njoku. Like his ADP is not nuts, but you just don't want to get carried away with someone like Njoku. Um, you know, David Bell, all the rookie buzz. Great. But if it's going to be Jacoby Brissett, like really, you know, I don't know who cares. Like I did see some information out there and I haven't gone back to look at it. You know, Brissett does like to target the running backs underneath. So maybe it helps hunt a little bit, but even then I don't think so. I'd much rather have Watson out there scoring more points, right. And chances for touchdowns. So yeah, that, I think that's the Browns in a nutshell. Portland Sutton per Cecil Lammy, Russell Wilson's favorite and the Broncos are designing plays for him. Dwayne, I've enjoyed being a little bit ahead of consensus here. You know, it was, I think we did our Broncos preview early in the summer. And again, Mm -hmm. just try and read between the lines. We came to decision like, okay, Sutton over Judy based on again, you know, contract, just the chances of being in two wide receiver sets, numerous factors. I have Sutton as my wide receiver 17 behind DJ Moore, McLaurin and Pittman. I believe that's right around where he continues to go over underdog fantasy. So really have been trying to prioritize him in that wide receiver two range. Your question is if Sutton is indeed like the number one, how high is the ceiling? Because I, I think you're going to say is too. It's, it's wide receiver one, man. Like this is the wide receiver two that I think we don't have nearly as much quarterback questions. We don't have the same sort of what happens when DeAndre Hopkins comes back questions as Marquise Brown. I mean, Cortland Sutton, man, he is the number one pass game option that has the best quarterback really in this wide receiver two range. Yeah, I, I think with Sutton, and again, I think the most likely outcome is he's more like a 22, 23% target share guy in with everybody else, you know, just trying, hopefully one of them trying to get to 20% and then you could just have a lot of guys around like 15, right? Um, I don't think it's a scenario where, and it could also just be a scenario where it's him and Judy or him and Patrick that are both like around 22% and everybody else has less. But if I were to put a chip on one guy, it's just like what you said, that has the most likely upside to all of a sudden be a 25% target share guy, right? And everybody else is more, it's not a 1A, 1B basically, right? It's truly, you got a wide receiver one, then you got a two, a three, a four kind of pecking order. Yeah, I think it is Sutton, and it all goes back to, look, we know AFC, NFC West, 56% of the games that are over on Superbook right now projected for over 50 points belong to those two divisions. And so they're going to be in shootouts all the time. We know Sutton's going to be on the field. He's got the quarterback and Russ Wilson. Uh, you know, he's going to get to work more down the field. You know, it's an offense that's going to score more touchdowns. So Sutton, you know, if you maybe drafted a month ago and you checked out and haven't done any drafts and now you're coming back, like you're going to be surprised. Like he's moved up like two rounds in ADP. Um, but I think that it's, I think it's right. 
you know, and so I've got him actually moving up nine spots. This with my new updated 150, I'm like you, I have him as my wide receiver 17. So I just think that, you know, he's the guy with the most upside. But even then, like if we miss and like there's the downside, like he's probably still going to be a 20% guy with a really good quarterback and he could score touchdowns. Right. Um, so it's like, I think his downside is worst case, like Sutton's a high end wide receiver three, but I still feel pretty comfortable, even if things are more split up, you know, with Sutton being able to produce that wide receiver two finish, but having that wide receiver one upside. You know who doesn't rise for some stupid reason is Tim Patrick. What does this guy have to do, Dwayne? We see, I see people jump through all these hoops explaining why Jerry Judy hasn't been scoring touchdowns compared to Gabriel Davis. And it's like, why was Tim Patrick out there scoring touchdowns then? Why has Tim Patrick been the best wide receiver on the Broncos for the last two years and we treat him as the third? What does he need to do? I'm not going to rank him top 20 because we don't freaking need to. Like I'll happily continue to rank him five, 10 spots ahead of consensus and continue to draft him late. But it's just it, the, the Jerry Judy stuff, man. And I, I feel like I'm almost becoming like a Jerry Judy hater, which I don't want to be. Like, I understand the guy's got some fun route running chops. Like, I'm not completely out on him. But at what point do we stop saying like, hey, this guy was a first round pick three years ago. And we look at the two years of professional football evidence that all tell us that Tim Patrick's better and he should probably be expected to have more production this year. Yeah, I don't know that he's better, but I think it's to your point that the it's a conversation. He has, he has been better. He has been a better professional football player than Jerry Judy. That's a fact. I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, at the stuff that now. I look at, like, like they're close. Right. Um, wow. but I mean, because you do have to still count draft capital and you, count, if you look at if you, then. no, no, if, who is, who has had the more productive, the better career. It's been Tim Patrick. I'm not rewarding. Fine, I'm not rewarding Judy for being a first round pick. Well, yeah, but Judy's also been hurt. I mean, he did have a 20% target share season as a rookie. Pretty hard to do. Last year's targets per route were fine. It's just, you know, he was dinged up in and out of the lineup. So, I mean, I think just totally fading Judy is not the move. I think looking at ADP and looking at both players and knowing that you can get Tim Patrick, you know, in round 13 of your draft, you got to take Jerry Judy in round five. I think that's the easiest way to look at it. Right. And so, yeah, my Tim Patrick exposure is through, is through the roof. My, my Jerry Judy exposure is pretty low, but it really all comes back to ADP, right? If they were both going at the same ADP, I would just take Jerry Judy, you know, and then I would take Tim Patrick after that, but they're not. And so again, like, they're both in my breakout article. If folks want to go back and check it out, I put it out like six weeks ago now, but none of it's changed. It's all, it's all based on, you know, these criteria that we've seen for breakouts in the past. And so Tim Patrick's on the list, Jerry Judy's on the list. They're a little bit different profiles, but both of them, you know, have an opportunity to have a big season, you know, this year, or they could just both be, you know, trying to pick up scraps from Cortland Sutton, like both things are in the range, you know, of outcomes. So I, I love Tim Patrick. I've got him. <laughs> Right now, I have him 50 spots ahead of ADP over at FFPC. I'm only 13 spots ahead on underdog where, you know, the receiver craze goes. But that's saying something. I'm 13 spots ahead of ADP over an underdog on Tim Patrick. Um, so, obviously, I love him as well. On Over the last two seasons, Jerry Judy has 169 targets. Tim Patrick has 164. Jerry Judy has 90 catches. Tim Patrick has 104 catches. Judy has 1,323 yards. Patrick has 1,476 yards. Judy has three touchdowns. Patrick has 11. I, that's better. It's better. He's been better. He's been on the field more. I mean, but if you, I mean, if you look at the underlying He has five fewer stuff. targets, five less targets. Right. But he's been on the field more than Jerry Judy. Like, so yeah, his counting stats are obviously going to be more than Jerry Judy's like that doesn't surprise us. Right. 
Yeah, but like when, when does eight more <laughs> touch? But what don't eight more touchdowns mean a guy is more talented than someone who demanded a few more targets? Well, yeah, I mean, touchdowns, yeah, they matter. I don't think we should completely dismiss them in fantasy football, but at the same time, we know that they can be a bit more fluky. Like, look, I again, I like Tim Patrick, but I'm not totally dismissing Jerry Judy for someone that is young as he's at, right? I mean, I think his underlying data points are, but he's 21% targets per route run both of his first two years, right? He had a 20% target share as a rookie. Um, his yards per route run last year actually got better than his rookie year, 1.85. His PFF receiving grade last year moved from a wide receiver five to a wide receiver three territory. So, like, there are positives, you know, for Jerry Judy. There's positives for Tim Patrick. If I had to pick the one to say that I think still has the biggest ceiling, I do still think it's Jerry Judy. I just don't mm-hmm. like his ADP. I think it's too far ahead of Tim Patrick. And I love Tim Patrick's ADP. So that's really the biggest driver for me on the two players. Um, I mean, I... I get everything that you just said, like in Tim Patrick, like had a PFF receiving grade, you know, in his year four season uh, was wide receiver two worthy um, last year. It was wide receiver three worthy. So his underlying data points are, you know, also strong. Um, so I like both players um, just like the ADP a lot more for Tim Patrick. Gotta love the ADP final note, Dwayne. I know you had a cool little chart you were showing me earlier about Traylon Burks and basically just how the ADP has been in a free fall. Mentioned that before with a lot of the first round, even the second round wide receivers like, yeah, just since the draft, we have seen kind of a lack of interest in them and everyone has had a nice little dip at this point. Traylon Burks from around seven to eight, now round eight to 10 after missing most of OTAs and minicamp due to potentially asthma conditioning issues, maybe a little bit of both. Dwayne, are you buying the dip based on this news cycle? Yeah, this is the type of bit dip that you want to buy, in my opinion, right? Because Burks is a guy that landed in a spot. You know, he's got the draft capital. He fits the scheme that they want. Um, you know, he's been an explosive playmaker in college. He has questions, which we highlighted. We've talked about Traylon Burks a ton, right? You know, there are questions like, you know, we didn't see a huge sample size of him getting to work outside one-on-one. I know there's things that could potentially be holes in his profile, but look, this is a player now that you can get, you know, in round nine, round 10 of your fantasy drafts. And that is a, that's something I want to buy into because I think once training camp gets going, you start to hear some positive news. He's out there practicing like this is a player that probably is going to shoot back up in ADP. And so really we've just seen, he's kind of, it's interesting. Like, it's just like these news cycles, Traylon Burks before, you know, we saw the, uh, you know, the combine, right. was shooting way up. Like you'd see him sometimes going round six of fantasy drafts. Then the combine comes out and he didn't run a four, two, one. Okay. Who cares? He, you know, he ran slower than what we thought, but his ADP falls. Then he gets taken in the first round by the Titans on an offense that just, you know, that also traded away AJ Brown that same day. And we all of a sudden thought, wow, good draft capital. You know, he's got an opportunity for targets. ADP shot up to round seven. Now he misses minicamp, you know, or some of minicamp and OTAs due to this conditioning stuff. And his ADP falls like three rounds. Like that's the piece of news out of all, you know, I'm just not buying that, right? I'm going to continue. I want to get Traylon Burks. I'm not going to reach for him now, but it's, I want to get access to him right now at this ADP because I think there's a really good chance we're going to get another, we're going to get another news cycle on Traylon Burks. It's going to be positive. And here we go again, right? We're going to be back up to, and people will then be focused on the right things. Oh, well, the Titans don't, you know, they've got, you know, Robert Woods, but he's coming off an injury. He's an older player. AJ Brown is gone. Traylon Burks could play that role. Like we'll be having that same conversation again. And his ADP is going to go up. So I think right now is just a good time to buy Burks. The Titans told us that they considered him the 18th best player in the draft. Let's focus on that. (laughs) 
Not him. Not easy, huh? Yeah, not him like missing a couple drills here in freaking May. Gotta love when this happens. Reminds me last year of Jalen Waddle not moving past wide receiver 48 because there was an article about him getting up slow, not missing any time in practice, but he got up slow. And the beat writer noted that, man, if Waddle got hurt, Dwayne, like that, that would have been bad for him. Uh, he, Jamar he Chase and the stripes on the football. These are the kind of news cycles you want to buy, right? Yes. You know, if all of a sudden we hear Tra- Traylon Burks, you know, we're one week away from the season starting and he's working with the fours and fives still in practice, that that's a problem, right? <laughs> that's a moment where we're like, okay, maybe we should tap the brakes. But this is not the story that should be just should be pushing Traylon Burks' ADP down. This is just an opportunity to take advantage of the dip. Scholars wonder if McFarlane and Harditz can ever get a podcast done under an hour. We will have <laughs> to find out another day. But Dwayne, it was good catching up on all this stuff. You are working on updating your top 100. Should be live for the people on the site Wednesday. Yep. Uh, top 150 will be up tomorrow morning. And then there will be some uh, draft strategy articles. I'll be covering quarterback. My plan at quarterback this year and running back. Um, at least where we are today, right? With where ADP is today. Obviously, that's something we'll have to refresh come back August. But for folks that have some earlier drafts or just wanting to start to get your mind around some strategy and how you can approach this at each position, we're going to have those two. I will have my 150 along before too long. Right now, working on some more uh, quick hitting strategy pieces. I had my top 10 wide receivers that are too cheap based on their projected targets go up Monday. You can also check out, again, some of the more volatile running backs based on what type of scoring system you're using. And later in the week, I'll have a list of which tight ends, basically tiering the chances of each tight end having a chance to actually lead their team and targets or not. So I think it's useful to go through that. But yeah, team previews are done. Should still hold up. Hold up if you want to check those out. I got a uh, message from our lovely editor, Mark, uh, mid-podcast. Dwayne, apparently since July 19th last year, I have wrote 843,000 words, which doesn't even sound <laughs> doesn't even sound real. Um, yeah. So That's amazing. I'm going to try to be a little more efficient, maybe not write um, quite that many moving forward. But again, the goal with the entire team preview series was to take the time, get those words, get those thoughts in, uh, you know, both over podcasts and writing. So now, now in the second week of July, we can really start getting on to what's important and just, you know, achieving our ultimate goal, Dwayne, help making all these lovely listeners, lots of money and lots of enemies because you keep winning all your damn fantasy football leagues. So hopefully we can continue to achieve just that for Dwayne. I'm Ian. Thanks to those for tuning in the PFF fantasy football podcast. And until next time, take care. Everybody.